Welcome to the second and final episode of a two-part podcast, which is brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. My name's George Gawley, and the focus of this series is biodiversity and farming. In the first episode, we heard from conservation consultant Helen Bibby. She explained not only the principles of biodiversity, but also highlighted the role that farming can play in enhancing biodiversity and the habitats in which it exists. She also provided some really useful advice and tips on how farmers can understand more about the habitats which might exist on their own farms. And she also highlighted that many farms might successfully already be managing these habitats but not even realise it. Today, and as a follow-up from that conversation, I've been out on the ground talking to some Lochaber Hill farmers to learn more about the real work which is being carried out to manage and enhance biodiversity. But I thought it would also be really interesting to hear about some of the challenges which real-life farmers face in everyday situations. So to kick things off, I'm here at Akendall Farm and I'm joined by Paolo Berardelli, who's the farm manager. Now, Paolo, thankfully we're inside today because it's pretty wild out there, but you've got a pretty extreme business which stretches away out into the mountains, essentially. Do you want to tell us a wee bit about where you're farming and what it is you're doing? Okay, so we're farming here in Glencoe, uh, in Argyle, and here we farm about 2,000 hectares or 5,000 acres of hill or almost mountain land where we it rises up to 4,000 feet, which is the highest peak in Argyle. We graze about 900 blackface ewes and producing about 500 store lambs per year, which are sold on to uh, finishers. The ewes, the ewes don't receive any supplementary feeding and rely on extensive grazing of relatively poor pastures on the hill to survive. The flock grazes four main hills. Each hill supports a hefted flock or hustle of about 200 plus ewes, where the ewes occupy the hill on which they were born and raised, so they tend to be hefted or in other words, the nowhere home is. And on the land at Glencoe, we have two environmental schemes that are very important to the business and under AICS. And it's also certified organic. So, Paolo, what are the main challenges that you face when trying to manage such extensive areas of hill ground? Okay, well, weather's... As most, most of farming, weather's often the main challenge, we get an average of over 100 inches of rain per year. And the sheep have to be tough to survive out in the open hill uh, with a rough ground and poor, poor um, soils that we have there. Late winter and early spring is often a critical time when the ewes have minimal reserves. A late spring is hard on the on the use and inevitably leads to lower lambing percentage or lower numbers of lambs. Gathering the use for um, getting them in for shearing and for weaning and for lamb marking is challenging. 
as I said before, the the flocks split into four different herstles. Well, we need basically need five or six shepherds. It takes them a day to gather one herstle of around 200 ewes. So it takes us about 20 man days every time we need to get all our sheep in. This on top of limited weather windows because we can't go out gathering when it's misty. So, um, and difficulty of getting contract shepherds because everybody wants them at the same time. So they're yeah. limited availability. Um, just to put it into perspective, by comparison, our 900 ewes produce around 525 kilo store lambs, which is about 12,500 kilos of lamb. Now, this, on a lowland unit, this could be, could be produced from just around 150 ewes, mm -hmm. which would take up about 20 acres which would take about 10 minutes to get them in yeah. to the to the fanks. So, the, you know, big difference there in, in labour required. Yeah, and it just goes to show the, the quality of the ground as well. Yes. You're dealing with very vast... That's it. Bar, yeah, bar very extensive, very extensive. So the other thing is, obviously, on the hill during gathering or, or whenever on the hill, we're working in a, a fairly precarious and dangerous environment. We now go to the hill with the uh, yellow vests and radios. Radios obviously aid communication when we're gathering, but also safety is a priority. So um, we've actually had one mountain rescue, and oh well, all the years we've been gathering, we've had one mountain rescue incident where uh, we had to get the mountain rescue to 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 out one day. So. Um, there's always that to take into account. Um, predation on lambs is a major problem uh, by foxes, which we can control, and sea, sea eagles, which we cannot, which are protected. So we spend approximately 300 hours a year controlling foxes, both at night and with a spotlight and, and the thermal imager and at dens. So, Paulo, what type of biodiversity are you managing for and how do you go about managing the habitats in which it exists? Okay, so approximately a third of the area we graze is designated SSSI and SAC, which is Special Area Conservation, for a habitat called species-rich Nardus which is basically just a species-rich um, habitat that grows on alluvial fans, which you find at the bottom of steep burns, where all the nutrients have been washed down the burn and are deposited in a, a, what you call in a, it looks like a fan, basically a green fan, which is an alluvial fan. Yeah. So that's grazed, that's obviously... Um, slightly better grazing so it tends to be favored by the sheep now there has to be the right level of grazing there so we work in conjunction with snh to come up with the correct level of grazing too little grazing would mean that the grass grew too tall 
and would be shaded out by ranka grasses to too much grazing and it would be grazed out so it's a question of getting the correct grazing there so over the past maybe getting on for 20 years now we've been in various um, uh, rural stewardship schemes and now in the AIC scheme to promote positive management basically to promote the sheep being there Paolo, have you always been aware of the biodiversity that exists on the farm and have you always managed for it? Well, we were aware of it, but not really conscious of it that much. But when we started with the environmental schemes back in 1998, I think it was the first one, that's when we became aware of of really what this the the triple SI was and 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 how it um how the sheep impacted on it yeah and then we started meeting with SNH and and learned more about it and how you know SNH were keen to to have a positive management agreement for us to keep the sheep on there and uh, we've been working with them ever since yeah the the site is is monitored every two years and we get you know we've had favorable condition for the last 20 years so it shows that we're doing doing the right thing yeah so it wasn't it wasn't um it wasn't just a black and white uh, sort of management plan there that you could follow it was very much you know was it was it very much uh, working working with snh to yeah to decide yeah, it was a tailor-made package. You know, a lot, a lot of the environmental schemes are very broad brush, and uh, it didn't necessarily fit into one of the the older schemes. So we had to sort of come up with our own tailor-made scheme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Paolo, just uh, for those listeners who maybe aren't involved in these types of agri-environment schemes. Are you quite happy with the results and how is this measured? Yeah, well, SNH closely monitor the site. So basically they're on the ground every two years monitoring the species rich nardus and making sure it's in favourable condition. And we've received favourable condition now since we started. So um, it must... um, it must mean we're doing the right thing. Paolo, many thanks for sharing with our listeners uh, a very detailed understanding of how you are actively managing for biodiversity while um, running quite a successful um, blackface flock as well. Thank you for that, Paolo. Now, earlier in the day, I caught up with another local farmer, James Colston from RSEG Farms, who farms in a slightly different environment uh, and has got slightly different challenges. So uh, this is this is what um, James had to say when I caught up with him earlier. So James, do you just want to give us a wee summary of the farming operations at RSEG? Well, George, we we, we uh, I manage a kind of uh, diverse uh, farming business. Uh, we're involved with. Let property, woodland management. We do some deer stocking. We have quite a big uh, oyster farm now, 
and of course we've got the uh, agricultural side of the business too. The, the hill farm uh, carries a flock of 350 mainly blackface ewes and we also have 40 pedigree ling cows plus followers. I do uh, a contract farming operation as well where I run a further 200 mostly cheviot clin ewes on a nearby farm. We produce uh, store and fat lambs and store calves plus some pedigree heifers which we sell for breeding or we try to anyway. So James, what type of uh, habitats are actually on place on the farm? Well, it's uh, a wide range of habitats, uh, George, from blanket bog to dry heath really. We, we, we have a lot of uh, wet, acidic hill grass and heather habitats, these are dominant. But uh, we also have uh, species rich habitats and large areas of native woodland. The uh, biodiversity uh, has become a bit of a buzzword in recent times. I have always known about managing biodiversity. We just tend to call it farming, uh, that's all. And James, can you tell us a wee bit about how your habitats are actually managed? Well, the, the cattle and sheep uh, graze extensively over the whole farm, really, um, and they, they, you know, they have impacts on the habitats uh, across, the, across the whole farm. We're, we're specifically uh, using cattle uh, for grazing uh, woodland areas, and we've been doing that for 15 years or more. Um, the cattle are great in the woodlands. Uh, they, 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 they keep open the habitats uh, and encourage the spread of uh, flowering plants with their grazing action and uh, the, the dung that they deposit uh, throughout the woodland. So is it the flowering plants then that you're actively targeting in the woodland? Well, we're trying, we're trying to encourage these, uh, George, because they're, they're very beneficial for insects, um, specifically um, butterflies, which is a, an important uh, thing for us. Uh, we're, we're looking after a good population of checkered skippers and we're trying to encourage uh, marsh fertilities and other, other species to, to stay. But we, we, you know, we do have other habitats that uh, are you know, equally interesting or important, uh, especially around some of the, the wetter areas. Um, there are nationally important uh, plants there which, um, you know, in the absence of grazing animals have almost reduced to zero. But over the years we've been doing this cattle grazing and uh, the number of uh, these uh, plants has increased uh, dramatically. So uh, what exactly is involved with um, the cattle grazing, James? Is, is it um, having more on at certain times of the year and less on at other times of the year? Well, it is, uh, George. It's a, it's a bit of a balance, really. Uh, we, we, we tend to uh, let the wooded, wooded areas uh, do their thing uh, in the summer with uh, no uh, livestock in there. And then we use that uh, growth of vegetation as, you know, uh, standing straw, if you like, uh, to feed the cattle in the winter. Uh, the cattle moving about the woods are, are uh, you know, damaging the bracken rhizomes, which checks that. Uh, but they're also tidying up all that uh, coarse uh, dead material, which, you know, uh, lets the, the light in and encourages the, the flowering plants, which are so important. And, uh... Over the, you've been doing this for a number of years now, James. Um, are you quite happy with the results that you've seen off the back of the, the management? Is the, um, is the habitat um, at the right level or the right height? Or, or 
you know, how, how have you sort of, um, what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, it's, a, it's an ongoing process and, uh, you know, we, we, we monitor, the, monitor the site uh, uh, every year and, you know, it's quite a good scheme uh, to be in because you're, you're able to fine tune the, the, the management as you go along if you know if you have a if you have if you identify a good reason and uh, at the moment I'm fairly happy with the way things are going I think perhaps we might uh, uh, you know reduce the number of cattle slightly in some areas and you know possibly increase it in others just depending on what we want to try and achieve yeah and uh, just so uh, people can put put the um, sort of the, the area into perspective um, how many um what what's the stocking density we're talking about um in some of these um woodland grazing and, and wetland areas well the the this you know you would describe it as low really i i don't know what the the you know per, per hectare and uh, livestock units and all that is but it's it's low we have to be very careful of uh, you know poaching and and diffuse pollution and these sort of things uh, uh, george so we know we can't we can't mob stock it with forty cows, uh, but uh, you know we, we just fine tune it. We we, we find a number that, that that meets the targets that we're aiming for and uh, doesn't upset the balance of other things. That's really how we go yeah, go yeah. about it. So it's about getting getting the balance right. Um, it's about getting the stocking density right without um, compromising. Um, too much on the output. I That's it. I mean, we're we're, we're we're currently using about uh, three hundred hectares of native woodland. Uh, you know, we've, we've got forty cows, so we're spread about amongst that uh, in various group sizes. Yeah. So it's some. It's certainly something that, that works for you and, and is quite important for you. It's it's um, very important. It's a, it's a it's a good income stream and it's improving the the biodiversity of the farm, uh, which is hard to sort of uh, pinned down cash-wise, but uh, it's uh, it's an important thing to do, yeah. And, um, have you always been aware of these um, these types of um, habitats and bio biodiversity on the on the farm, James, or is this something that's sort of been made aware to you over over the, the last number of years and, and sort of something that you've incorporated? Well, I, I've... I've um... I, I've always been aware of, uh, of uh, you know, the, the nature and the wildlife and biodiversity, and I think it goes just hand in hand with farming. I don't think you can separate the two things. Uh, if you uh, look after the, the land and look after the wildlife, then uh, they'll look after you. So that's been my uh, my policy uh, all along, um, and we'll you know we'll see if it uh, turns out to be the right one or not. And James, there's a lot of farmers that might not be in one of these high-value triple uh, SIs uh, or high-target areas, but that doesn't necessarily restrict them to managing for biodiversity, does it? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you, you know, uh, you don't have to be in a in a in a designated site, and in fact, I think being in one is a is a is a complication. It's a hindrance uh, because you you know you're not free to choose what you do there. Uh, you have to. Uh, Take advice from uh, others on that. Um, so I think uh, any any field, any piece of land, you know, it's got uh, biodiversity value, and uh, you know, people should be encouraged to take that into account when they're farming it. 
So James, do you just want to maybe mention some of your, your main challenges that you face when uh, managing this type of system? Well, we're working alone as we do in a, in a kind of remote uh, area where we're, we're miles away from uh, you know, any sort of support in terms of uh, contractors and uh, uh, you know, even neighbours with, with, with equipment and machinery to help. If you, if you can't do it yourself, it doesn't get done. That's, that's, the, that's what happens. Um, you know, gathering sheep and cattle for routine procedures takes days and days to do. Uh, you know, the same number of animals could be uh, managed much more efficiently on a, on a lowland farm, for example. We also uh, have the added complication of, uh, you know, trying to manage predation uh, from foxes and sea eagles, uh, which is becoming a, a big challenge. And increasingly the problems associated with ticks and liver fluke uh, um, uh, 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 you know, as the as the weather is becoming uh, uh, wetter and warmer, you know, uh, you know, it's definitely the main challenge we face. Uh, the, the the sort of opportunities to get things done uh, are becoming smaller and smaller. It's uh, getting almost impossible, I think, uh, really now to to keep livestock on our hills through the winter. And I, I suppose, lastly, just to touch on James, how how important is continued government funding for uh, this type of management going forward? You know, everybody, everybody's got challenges, uh, George, but, uh, you know, in, in the high hills here and, and, you know, in the sort of, uh, you know, real region three farms, uh, you know, you cannot do it without, uh, without, uh, without funding. You know, a, a recent uh, monitor farm uh, exercise showed that uh, there's no, no such thing as a low input, low output sort of system of farming anymore. You know, we, we are pretty good technically as farmers here, um, but uh, our output is a uh, very low value, and it's just not kept pace with uh, you know with with, with costs, uh, George. So, without funding uh, or support payments, uh, you know, we're just going to go out of business. Simple as that. James, thank you very much for providing an insightful example as to how your own farming business. Uh, works with and promotes the biodiversity that that is in place and it really reinforces a lot of the stuff that, that Helen talked about in our first podcast so for anyone that hasn't listened to that I would encourage them to go back and have a listen um, and thanks also for uh, highlighting your opinion as to the importance of future support uh, mechanisms going going forward for, I suppose, continuing to facilitate this type of uh, management. So, James, thank you very much for joining us. We hope that this series of podcasts has highlighted the importance of farming, not only from a food production point of view, but also as a tool for managing our landscapes and biodiversity. We hope that this series of podcasts will have provided you with some useful tips as to how to understand the types of biodiversity which may already be in place on your own farm and to encourage you to actively manage. This series of podcasts on biodiversity has been brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. For more information on biodiversity, visit the Farm Advisory Service website at www.faz.scot or Call our helpline on 0300 
323 01 61 to speak to an advisor.